Hello, and welcome to TMBS, the Thursday Night Bible Study. This study was held on July 29, 2010. Tonight we're going to continue our study in Romans, looking at the 6th chapter. So welcome again. This is TNBS, Volume 2, Session 14. Romans, 6th chapter. We're going to pick up there. That's where we left off. That's a good place to pick up, I guess. We're getting into a section here of 6 through 8 of Romans where Paul is going to be talking about more and more about our relationship with God through Jesus Christ and what that means to us. And last week, if you remember, uh, last, well, the last two sessions we had, he talked about being justified by faith. We have peace with God and what that meant. And he goes on and starts talking about in verse 8 of chapter 5, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in the last section of the fifth chapter, he talked about the fact that through one man, Adam, and his action, his sin, death and sin entered into the world. And through the one man, Christ, and his action of death on the cross, then we have redemption from that sin. And we have been justified by God or declared not guilty by God. And that was the point he made, ended up in the fifth chapter. So we'll pick it up tonight in the sixth chapter. Now, what he, he starts off here in the sixth chapter by asking a question which he probably is thinking that a lot of his audience is going to be asking in their minds based on what he has just said back in the fifth chapter. Look at verse 20 of the fifth chapter. And the law came and the transgressions might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Okay, when the law came into existence, the law actually convicted man of sin because it identified the sins that he was not doing. He was not obeying the law. And so sin increased, but grace increased even the more. So now Paul is coming back in the sixth chapter with this question. Well, then what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? So he said, okay, I just said that grace covers all sin, basically. He says, so someone may have the thought, well, that's, that's cool. If, if grace covers all sin, then why can't we just keep on sinning? You know, in fact, wouldn't that be beneficial? Because the more we sin, the more grace there is. And the more we sin, the more God forgives us. And wouldn't that be good? Well, yeah, I guess you could think that way. But then Paul goes on to explain how we as Christians cannot think that way. And that's what he's going to talk about in this sixth chapter. He says, may it never be in verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in sin? This is what he's talking about. So, if God's grace covers sin, why not just keep on sinning? Well, we can't keep on sinning because we have died to sin. We are no longer under the power and the domination of sin. Sin's power over us has died. We now live in the power of Christ. Now, the message has a neat way of saying this, I think. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we live in our old house? It says, didn't you realize that when we packed up and left, we left for good? This is what Paul is saying. He says, we've dead to sin. We can no longer live in sin because we're dead to sin. We have died to sin. To have the philosophy that since we have God's grace, then we can no longer have to obey moral law, there's actually a religious sect that lives by that principle <laughs> at one time. Antinomianism is the term. It comes from the Greek word anti, which means against, and nomos, which is law, which is, it means against the law. And it was, a, it was a, a movement in the Christian sect that popped up in about 1600s. Uh, antinomianism. Basically, it says that because of God's grace, Christians are freed from moral law. And basically, they said, 
You can just live however you want, satisfying all your humanly pleasures, because God's grace will cover it all. Probably one of the most renowned people who had that philosophy was Rasputin. I don't know if you ever heard of Rasputin. <laughs> Rasputin, you like that name? Rasputin, who's also known as the Mad Monk, <laughs> was another title he had. Uh, he was a Russian, and he basically had that philosophy. He attended religious services. He attended a seminary and or a convent. And that, well, con, a convent. What do monks attend? Monastery. monastery. Thank you. He didn't go to a convent. No, he entered a monastery and, and was studying to be a monk, but yet still had a rather free and easy life, basically. That's what he did. His, his moral standards were just slightly lower than the gutter. You know, um, uh, that's basically what he was. And that's what he was known as, as having a, 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 just a horrendous moral life, but still claimed to have all these religious beliefs. So it's that, it's that philosophy that we, uh, because of God's grace, we as Christians can just not abide by any moral law. And that's what the actual word means. So this is what Paul is saying here. This is the thought pattern which some people might possibly have. And he's saying, no, 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 that's not true because we have, we're dead to sin. We have died to sin. As the message says, listen, we've left that country. We have moved on. And we can't go back and visit. We can't go back and live in sin because we're dead to sin. Then he goes in and talks about how we have died to this sin. It is because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And he talks about baptism in verses 3 and 4 of this chapter, where he says, 6, 3, and 4, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ were raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is somewhat of a controversial subject, controversial topic among the church, churches. When you start talking about baptism, is this baptism by immersion or sprinkling? Uh, is it infant baptism? Is it baptism by water or baptism by spirit? Is it baptism literally or, or symbolically? What is Paul talking about here? And we as Baptists believe that baptism is a symbolic gesture, basically. Uh, it is a requirement for church membership, but uh, it has nothing to do with as far as your salvation goes. And that has pretty much been the way that I have, I have always thought and still pretty much believe that, think that way. Uh, I think what Paul is talking about here when he says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ? I think what he's talking about there is baptism by immersion in water. And I say that because of, the, of the, the Greek word he's using there and also because of the study of the culture of his day. Uh, baptism, the word baptismo, pretty much meant immersion. And I think he's referring to water because that was the most common use of the word. Paul does talk about being baptized by the Spirit. And as we talk about, and as also you read in Acts where, the, where the, the apostles were baptized by the Spirit at Pentecost, where the tongues of flame came down on the heads and that type of thing. But I think here he's referring to baptism in water. And I think he's talking about immersion in water. And I think it also is symbolic. that We are immersed in the water. We are buried. And then we rise out of the baptismal water. We are resurrected. Our old lives are buried. We rise to walk in our new lives. Uh, we are buried with Christ in baptism. We rise to walk in newness of life. That's where this comes from in the fourth verse of the sixth chapter of Romans. Where it says that we too might walk in newness of life. And there is a, sim a symbolism there. And I've heard the symbolism equated even to uh, like the wedding band, <laughs> which I don't have on. <laughs> I had to remove it because I'm getting arthritis in the knuckle and I can't get the ring back on the finger. So I've got to get it enlarged. But anyway, 
a wedding band. And one of the things about a wedding band you oftentimes hear in a ceremony is it's an outward sign of an inward commitment. It just indicates. It doesn't make a person married to wear a wedding band. It just indicates that they are married. They have made this commitment to somebody else. Baptism can also be related to that as well. It's just a sign. It's just a, a, an act. It's a, a, a demonstration of what you have decided internally in your heart. You have decided to follow Christ, and you are baptized to show that. In obedience to Christ, that's another reason some people use for baptism, that the Christ commands it. We're to be baptized. Okay. But it is symbolic in the death of being immersed, in death, burial, and resurrection, just like Christ died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and then was raised on the third day. So it is symbolic in that sense. But, you know, after reading this and doing a little more study on it, I think Paul adding a little bit more emphasis here to baptism than just symbolic. I think he, I think he's, he's kind of indicating something more than just a symbolic gesture. I think he goes beyond a little bit further than that. Look at what he says there. He says in verse thirteen, uh, verse three, excuse me, we're baptized into Christ and into His death. And in verse four, we have been buried with Him through baptism. Now. I don't think Paul is carrying this thought all the way to the point of saying that baptism is necessary for salvation. That is a, that's a, a necessity or a requirement for salvation, which, by the way, the Church of Christ does believe. Church of Christ, I think, has a belief that in order for you to actually go to, to have eternal life and to be in heaven, you have to be baptized. It is a, it is a requirement for, for salvation. We as Baptists, or most of the uh, Protestant denominations, don't believe that. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here, but I think Paul is adding a little bit more importance to baptism than we sometimes attribute to it. I think it's a little bit more than just a symbolic gesture because of the phrasings he's using here. don't think he's going too far to far as saying it's required for salvation, but I do think he's adding a, a place and a greater importance on it than what we normally sometimes think of. A, lot, a little bit more than just a symbolic gesture. Okay. Uh, reading on. Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul does teach that since we have been united with Christ in his death, like he's indicated by this baptism, then we're also going to be united with him in his resurrection. Christ, Christ died, we're united with him in his death. He was resurrected, so we are united with him in resurrection. Christ was resurrected in, into uh, a new physical life and then, and then ascended into heaven. We're resurrected from baptism into a new spiritual life of eternal life. So the same type of thing. Verse 6, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Knowing this, we are no longer slaves to sin. Our old self was crucified with Christ. Uh, this is also going back in First Corinthians 5.17. See if my memory serves me correct. Five, no. <laughs> It does not. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I knew it was 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, is a new, new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. All things are new. It's the same type of thing. He says, knowing that our old self was crucified with Christ. Our old sinful, not our sinful nature, uh, not our sinful self. Um, because, see, after this, we still sin. Okay, and this is where this is where you can really get deep into the theology of what Paul is talking about here, which I don't want to get too deep into. But basically, the point he's trying to make is that just and looking at verse seven, for he who has died is freed from sin. Just as death frees us from physical existence forever, 
I mean, like there's no turning back, okay? I mean, once you're dead, you're no longer physically alive. What Paul is saying here, this death to sin has freed us from sin's power eternally. We have died to sin. In the same way that someone has died to life and no longer has life, we, are died to, we, we have died to sin and no longer come under the power of sin. This is the point he's trying to make here. And I, I got a couple of examples that may help illustrate this because this old self, new self, sinful nature, Christ-like nature, died to our old selves, now new life. This, this can be kind of confusing at times when you're trying to think about it. But two illustrations. First of all, think about a slave. Think about a slave whose freedom has been purchased. And he's no longer a slave. He's an ex-slave. Okay? And he then goes and stands before his former master. Alright? you got a freed slave standing before his former master. And the former master looks at, him, looks at his former slave and says, Jump! Now the slave's instinct and his, his first response in his mind may be to shout back, How high? But see, he doesn't have to. He no longer has to question how high. He no longer has to carry out that order. He could just simply turn and walk away because he is no longer the master's slave. Now, all illustrations, you know, at some point will, will fail, so don't carry that too far, but that's kind of the, the, the thought here. Uh, another, <coughs> another illustration. Uh, think of a, Brit, a, a British garden. And I don't know why you have to be a British garden other than I want it surrounded by a high brick wall, okay? And that's the only gardens I can think of that are surrounded by high brick walls are in, in England. So you've got these two gardens uh, surrounded by this high brick wall. One garden is the realm of Satan, and one garden is the realm of God, okay? We are born into the garden under the realm of Satan. The wall is too high for us to climb out or to climb over. So that's where we are, okay, in our life when we we're born. Then we come into a knowledge of Jesus Christ and we accept Him as our personal Lord and Savior. We are redeemed by the death of Christ. He has made the penalty for our sin. We are justified by God. Then God reaches down and picks us up out of the garden of Satan and puts us over the wall into the garden of God. So now we're in the garden of God. But the problem is that we can still hear Satan over on the other side of the wall. So that's another illustration of how we have a new nature. We, we, we're not in sin. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We're died to that old life. And we now have this new life, but yet there is still the temptations that still come to us, and sometimes we do sin. But we don't live in sin. This is what the point Paul is making here. We're no longer controlled by sin. We are no longer under sin's power. We have the power of Christ. We can turn and walk away if we desire to. Hopefully, that's what we'll do when we hear Satan shouting at us from over the wall. And hopefully, we'll turn and finally eventually walk far enough away to where we no longer hear Satan, where his voice is not as loud anyway. Two little illustrations that may help get a, kind of get a mental grasp of what Paul is talking about here with this old nature, this new nature, and the fact that we are dead to sin. We're no longer in that country, as the message says. We moved on. And that's why we can't continue to live in sin. Because we're dead to sin. Reading on. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. 
for the life he now lives, he lives to God. If we have died with Christ in baptism, in this relationship with Christ, and we shall also live with him. Christ died, was resurrected in eternal life. Through baptism, we also die, we're resurrected into eternal life. We have this connection with Christ in that sense. Christ has been raised from the dead, never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. He has conquered death. Christ has conquered death. He died to sin, and now he lives for God, lives to God. Therefore, death is no longer master over us. And we have died to sin, and now live to God just like Christ. This is the connection Paul is making here. Christ died to sin and was raised to live for God, lived, or was raised to God. We, in the same way, because of our connection with Christ, we are now dead to sin, and like Christ, we now live to God. Okay? Now, you have already noticed in Romans, Paul quite often repeats the same thing and phrases it several different ways, and that's what he's doing here as well, to, to, to make his point as clear as he possibly can. Okay. Reading on, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, death is no longer our master. We are died to sin, just like Christ. And we cannot live with Christ. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Therefore, and you know Paul's use of therefore, that's tying back to what he's just talking about. Okay, he's, he's just said that we are connected with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. We are dead to sin. We have been risen, we have been risen into a new life. We are now to live to God. We're no longer under sin's power. Therefore, since we have died to sin with Christ, since, so long, since sin no longer has control or mastery of our lives, since we are now living a new life in Christ, we should act like it. That's what he's talking about here. We should act like that. Just like he says, when he starts off this whole section, when he says, well, should we just go on sinning? No, no, no. We've died to sin. We've moved on from that. We have moved into this new life with Christ. So we should not live in sin. We should now live in this new life with Christ. That's what the point he's making here. Since we've died to sin, since sin no longer has power and mastery over us, so since we have this new life, we ought to live like it. We ought to live like it. We should not allow sin back into our lives. We should not, as, as he says here, therefore do not let sin reign in your life. Don't let it back in your life. We should not allow it back in our life. We should not even give in to sinful temptations of our evil desires. This is the point he's trying to make here. We should not indulge in sinful behavior. Because we're dead to all that. Christ died to all that. We have died with him in all of that. We're now living to God. That should not be a part, should not be a part of our life. And that's the point he's making here. Not only should it not be a part, we should not give in to sinful desires, but even our bodies. We, both our desires and our bodies ought to be given to God to live in righteousness. Both our bodies and our lives, our desires, should be given to God. Reminiscent of what he's going to say in five chapters in Romans 12.1. We should live like that. We should live, we should live like we're dead to sin in the way we act and in the way we live in our lives. 
Verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. For sin shall not be our master. And the Greek word he uses there is kurieo, which is from the Greek word kurios. I don't know if you ever heard of the Greek word kurios. It's quite often associated with the Greek word Christos. And quite often you hear the word Kyrios Christos. Or Kyrios Jesus. Kyrios is a Greek word for Lord. Paul is saying sin should not be master. It should not be Lord of our lives. It shall not be our master, says Paul, because we are dead to sin. We now have a greater power in our Lord, in our Kyrios Christos, in our Lord Christ. So we're no longer under the Lordship of sin. We're now under the Lordship of Christ. We're dead to sin. We live to God. Our old nature was under the power and dominion of sin. Our new nature is under the power and the dominion of Christ. Because we're no longer under the law and its results, which is death. We have been freed from sin by God's grace. And the Greek word that he uses there for freed is, is um, dikaios, which is a word that Paul has used all throughout this. It's the same word he uses when every time he says God has justified us. It comes from the same Greek, Greek root. When he said God has justified us. He has declared us not guilty. We have been justified from sin, is what Paul is saying here. We've been freed from sin's power, freed from sin's dominion, freed from sin's result. The result of sin is death. And we have been freed from that. We have been justified from that. We have been declared not guilty. So, having been justified, having been freed from sin, being dead to sin, no longer being under dominion and power of sin, but being under dominion and power of Christ, and living unto Christ, so should we live. That's his whole point. So should we live. In all nature, sin was a controlling factor. Our evil desires. He talks about this over in the first chapter of Romans. And what happens when you do that? What happens when you give in to those desires? If you may remember. First chapter of Romans. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. Gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. Those are the type of things that come under sin's obedience. Those are the type of things that come under sin's mastery. But we have been freed from that. We have been freed from that by the death of Christ. And so we're now under the mastery of Christ, or should be. And that is the way we should live our lives. Giving both our thoughts, our minds, our bodies to God for acts of righteousness. Heavenly Father, I'm just constantly amazed, Lord, when I read through your scriptures and not only see what you did, but read the words of Paul and the others and get a more deeper understanding of what it all means. I'm just constantly amazed that your love could be so great to include me. It is just so amazing. And I am so grateful I thank you, Father, that I have died to sin, that I am no longer living in sin, that I have 
found new freedom because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That I have entered into a new relationship with the creator of the universe who is now my father. I'm just so grateful, Father, that I can come to you at any time for anything that I need and that you are there and that you will listen. Father, forgive me. Forgive us. Father, forgive us when we listen to the old nature, give in to the old temptations. Forget that we have a power greater than sin and we fail to turn and walk away. Forgive us, Father. And strengthen us in every day to live, to live out the life which we now have in you. Thank you. For this is my prayer, in and through the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, my Savior and my Lord, and my very bestest friend. Amen and amen. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And as always, if there are any questions or comments or suggestions you may have, please send me an email. My email address is davidlkeel at gmail.com. So, next week we'll continue our study in the 6th chapter, starting with the 15th verse of Romans. So until then, it is my prayer that as you go through life, each and every day, may we live out the new relationship that we have in the power and the strength of Jesus Christ. God bless you.